Welcome to the Almighty's Dollar Podcast with Daniel Watts, the director of the EGM Institute. Welcome to this week's Almighty's Dollar Podcast. The pastor of the Assemblies of God Church in Kilpway, Chile, was the chairman of the EGM Chile Board of Directors. And whenever I visited, he asked me to preach in his church. So there I was, sitting with my two colleagues. They were to my right, and the pew to my left was empty until a few minutes into the service when a girl, I'm going to guess she was 9 or 10 years old, came and sat all by herself at the end of our pew. When I was invited to the front, I stepped into the pulpit and preached up a storm. Well, actually, you know, the way that works overseas is the translator preached up a storm, and I really have no idea what he said. <laughs> My colleagues assured me, though, that after, afterwards, it accurate, he had accurately translated almost everything I said. Almost. <laughs> it all appeared to go great. Now it was time for the offering, so the pastor rose in front of the congregation, and four deacons with large baskets came and stood in front of the church, facing the congregation. The pastor prayed, and then people came forward with their offerings, kind of lined up in front of the baskets. I looked down the pew, and then the little girl stood up and headed to the front by herself. Standing right behind her, I saw her drop one small coin into the offering basket. Her gift was about the value of one U.S. dime. It really touched my heart. <laughs> and when we returned to our places, the worship team led us in a time of praise and worship. And then the pastor asked our ministry team up to the front of the church, and he introduced our Chilean director, who shared briefly about our ministry work with churches and children there. Then the past pastor, pastor announced that the church was taking a special offering for our ministry work with children in Chile. The four deacons came back up in front of the church with empty baskets and most of the congregation rose up again and walked to the front, including, to my utter amazement, the girl at the end of my pew. She dropped her other coin into the offering basket, and I was really, I was like choking back the tears. The young girl was giving an offering to God for a ministry that was for her. The sincerity on her face and the sacrificial nature of her gift touched me so deeply, and I'll never forget that girl. Hers is the kind of genuinely worshipful giving that the prophet Amos spoke of. After David's reign, the people of God eventually divided into two kingdoms. Nine kings after David, the prophet Amos, stepped onto the scene. Amos lived when King Uzziah ruled over Judah from the city of Jerusalem, and when Jeroboam II ruled over Israel from Samaria. According to 2 Kings 14, 24, Jeroboam II did evil in the eyes of the Lord. According to King, 2 Kings 15, 3, King Uzziah, also known as Azariah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But in this fact is key to understanding the book of Amos. The writer of 2 Kings didn't stop there. The high places, however, in Judah were not removed by King Uzziah. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there, says in verse 4. Even while sacrifices and offerings to God continued in Jerusalem, the worship of God took place alongside the sinful practices of idolatry. And for this, God struck King Uzziah with a skin disorder that lasted until the day he died. 
Writing near the end of the monarchy, the kingdom of God's people fell first in Israel and then in Judah. Amos offered a far-ranging critique of the sinfulness of God's people. And we're going to focus on Amos 5, 21, 23. So let me read that. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Speaking on God's behalf, Amos spoke the harsh truth that God had rejected the people's festivals and assemblies, taking no joy or delight in their worship. God rejected all his people's celebrations, the feasts of Passover, weeks, trumpets, and tabernacles, with his blanket statement in verse 21, even though God himself had instituted the festivals and congregational worship, he now found them detestable. It's really heavy. The Lord saw how easily the Israelites carried on their religious practices alongside their blatant um, sinfulness. Throughout the Old Testament, And even up to the time of Christ, the Israelites were somehow able to bring sacrifices and offerings to God, worship Him in song and music, offer prayers of the heart, and even pledge their lawful obedience, all the while living in idolatry and sinfulness. And nowhere is this more evident than at the time of Christ when the Pharisees were maintaining a kind of religious piety At the same time, they were planning to murder the Messiah. Of course, it's easy for us to look back at the Israelites critically, but if he were able, Amos might suggest that we do the same kind of thing today. We worship God with our praise, our service, and our offerings while continuing in our sin and dabbling in our 21st century idolatry. It's this hypocrisy, the Israelites, the Pharisees, and our own, that God ultimately rejects. So what do 21st century idolatry and hypocrisy look like? Well, here's a heartbreaking example, and actually every example is heartbreaking. In the 1980s, the Reagan administration became really concerned about the pornography industry in the United States. The attorney general, I think it was Edwin Meese, led a commission formed to deal with the issue. And the commission included some very influential evangelical leaders, including a wealthy businessman that I knew in our own church. He was also a significant financial supporter of a large parachurch organization focused on Christian family values. And he was a supporter of our ministry in Poland. When the commission's report was issued, the parachurch organization's Christian influence was evident and unprecedented. On my visits to the U.S., this man and his wife were one of the couples I would touch base with to report on our ministry work, and on one such visit, his wife came alone. She had discovered that over the past decade, her husband had become himself addicted to pornography. And when she confronted him, he he confessed 
filed for divorce and left his family. It was as if he had led two lives. One was the life of an accomplished family, gracious giving, church attendance, and light. And the other life unfolded in a very dark place. This kind of conflicted double life is at the heart of Amos's concern. Amos went on to state that God was not going to accept the offerings of his people. The sense of the passage is that God rejects our worship when our offerings are merely a token act of religion. Giving our tithes and offerings isn't an item to check off our Christian to-do list, and nor are we tipping God for his good service and care. Although the principles of Amos' teaching still apply to us today, the prophet addressed three specific offerings in his day. The burnt offering referred to that which was burnt on the altar, and the aroma rose up to heaven. The whole burnt offering, beast or fowl, is entirely consumed by fire on the altar of God. The grain offering could be a raw, roasted ground or turned into a bread, cake. Peace offerings were sacrifices that were for alliance, friendship, peacemaking, making amends for a transgression. And apparently the Israelites continued to worship the one true God, even as they were carrying on the worship of idols. They continued to take their sacrifices and offerings to God in the temple, but these were rejected. And the reasons for God's response can be found in the chapters leading up to Amos 5.21. In those four chapters, Amos wrote at length condemning the behavior of the Israelites and addressing major grievances like these, worshiping false gods in 1.4, trampling on the poor in 2.7 and 4.1, denying justice to the oppressed in their community 2.7, sexual immorality 2.7, greed and hoarding 3.10. The items on this list are unfortunately as familiar to any 21st century reader as they were to Amos's audience. Even a cursory reading of the Old Testament would reveal that these five behaviors were often characteristic of Israel's rebellious ways. And sadly, some churches, some Christians are guilty of these forms of duplicity even today. Whatever the era, God rejects his people's offerings when they, when we are acting with such hypocrisy. We, and I'm including myself, are far from immune to this very hypocrisy that Amos is describing. Because we feel the financial pressure, the underlying goal of our fundraising is to secure the money we need for the church or the ministry organization's budget. Our attention easily, even naturally, turns to those individuals who have money to give. When the financial gifts are large, the pastor or ministry leader may be drawn to those givers as a source of further funding and additional financial resources. The spiritual life of the giver is overshadowed by that person's ability to give large financial gifts. So these wealthy check writers may even be invited into the leadership of the church or ministry, not based on their life, but on their financial resources. Whether they're qualified to be an elder or a leader, sometimes immaterial, in our day, the need to find necessary funds and necessary leaders can result in the same kind of situation we find Amos addressing. 
Underneath the warnings regarding giving as a spiritual act of worship is a strong undercurrent. Amos reminded us that we cannot view giving our tithes and offerings as a religious action that will get us right with God. Amos 5, 21 through 23 teaches us two important truths about that wrong way of thinking. And next week, we're going to look at both of them. For now, we can heed the warning of Amos that our material gifts are not investments in God's work. Investors are concerned about the spiritual return on the investment. In this well-traveled road, the recipient of the church, of the gift, the church, the missionary, etc., are, can be unaware of the spiritual life of the investor. However, on the road less traveled, the gift isn't an investment in God's kingdom. It's an act of worship. The recipient of the gift, God, is fully aware of our spiritual life and the condition of our heart. Disassociating our giving from our spiritual life creates the kind of hypocrisy that Amos addresses. This coming weekend, as we give to God in our churches, let's remember our need for grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and commit ourselves anew to giving to God from a pure heart. Thanks for joining us this week. You can find more teaching on this topic and the road less traveled in Christian fundraising and giving on our website at www.egminstitute.org. And if you like what you've here heard, please feel free to share our podcast link with a colleague or a friend. And I look forward to being with you again next week. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Our next Almighty's Dollar podcast will be the same time next week. To learn more about giving and fundraising, check out the EGM Institute website at www.egminstitute.org.